Hey everyone, here's another preview. This is part four. You should become a patron to check out these cool episodes. We go over the basically the Nordic model of organizing unions in the military in the 70s and 80s. So if you'd like that, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It is the only way that we get any money for doing this because we are an entirely listener-supported show. So we really appreciate when people are able to do that. Otherwise, you know, here's a nice little preview, and I hope you enjoy this. Solidarity. So, but now back to the descriptions of, like, the structures of the unions, because I think this will help answer some of the questions. So while the soldiers could elect their own representatives, those elections were overseen by command. All of the funding for the elections came from the state. All meetings about the elections were held in government offices. The agenda of any candidate was limited to so-called welfare problems. And in Norway specifically, high-ranking officers could participate in and vote for people run uh, vote for people running, as well as having you know two members uh, from the Ministry of Defense, two senior officers of the military leadership, and two base commanders on the Central Committee. So this is literally just the way the U.S. runs client states around the world. We're like, I mean, hey, yeah, kind of. You can have a government, but uh, they can't do anything. And also, we're the controlling interest, and you're allowed to decide if like uh, one well, law goes up or down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know what? It also kind of reminds me of a little bit. I don't think the parallels are quite as strong as to the Railway Labor Act, which I think actually is very close to this. Um, is the provision in German law whereby uh, companies beyond a certain size have to allow representatives from their workers, from their unions on the board. But it in no way requires that they be given any like actual decisive power. It's they're like one voice among a board of like, you know, 20 people. So like, uh, I don't know what the actual ratios are, but they're not a majority and they never can really become one. So it's always like, no, look, it's fine. Don't get mad. Don't revolt. You have a voice. You can make your voice heard. That voice has no power and will never allow it to have any power, but you have a voice, so shut up and go away. <laughs> yeah, well, and technically, I mean, the these officers were not a majority. These, like, higher-ranking people were not. They were, I, I think in one example I bring up later, it's, like, 40%. But, I mean, like, that's still a huge amount of, of like, leadership who also have the power in day-to-day goings-on that are also part of this union right they're not just showing up and it's like a question of how many of them are constitutive of the executive committee or whatever it's also the fact that in this situation the union isn't limiting their power naturally that they have from the hierarchy of the military when they enter the space so it's not just that some guy who agrees with the general is on the board it's that the literal general <laughs> right. is on the board <laughs> uh-huh. right and it's like and the whole thing like none of this gets rid of the the you know prohibitions against insubordination or mm-hmm. going around the chain of command and these this union in quotes is like operating already with on like an incredibly limited terrain to begin with. Like it's it's extremely like it's demarcated in a really small box, um, and then it's like okay, here's the really limited box that your railway, I mean, uh, military union can operate in, and then imagine if in addition to having all of those 
like releases where they could just be like, no, we can just use this board or we can use the Congress or whatever to declare the strike illegal and just get rid of it. Now, in addition, and you you've got all of your rail slash military unions in this analogy, but 40% of the members are like the executives from CSX. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But, I mean, like, there are, you know, more radical elements in these countries, and they definitely saw through the company union structure, and there was an attempt to establish independent soldier committees. And the groups that were primarily responsible for, like, facilitating these committees were Maoist groups who kind of created more IWW-style organizing structures, uh, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's wild that this would even be on the plate for Maoists. But in my experience, Maoists are either the most interesting Marxist you've ever met in your life or just an insane person or just uh, to <laughs> well, the world's biggest goofball. Well, I, I mean, it, it would. This makes sense when you go into just like, look, OK, well, the Bolsheviks made soldier committees, so we should make soldier committees like the yeah. the, the the, you know, Mao did this. So we should do this. And because like I look, I'm not trying to be sectarian, but I do think dogmatism is kind of a, a, a major factor in a lot of Maoists. But like uh, but the thing is, this is a I mean, certainly I would put a lot more faith into these hastily assembled, perhaps somewhat dogmatic structures than the company union being set up by the state mm-hmm. <laughs> well also sidebar why are maoists often so dogmatic mao wasn't dogmatic at all <laughs> well we don't that that's that's not a sidebar that's an episode that would get me in trouble <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I, unfortunately i think we're gonna pass that question by. Yeah, all right fair <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, I mean, from what the authors could find, these groups quickly came into existence and then exited existence, leaving the company union structure pretty much entirely intact. So they lit some fireworks. Pretty much. They were like, bang, 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 bang. Bye. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's I mean, that's a big part of what to be fair to them. I mean, that's a big part of what these sort of company unions are set up to do is to make it that much harder to set up an actual yeah. revolutionary group. Now, again, based on all of what we've discussed in the past, I would still say, you know, unless, again, assuming you're talking about Sweden here, like, unless Swedish society is in a revolutionary or pre-revolutionary crisis where, like, the trade unions are, like, having massive strikes, the government is having a lot of weakness, you have a strong left party movement in the country, that's the point when you, you know, talking about soldier committees becomes a real viable thing. If everybody's more or less chill, like, even if you don't have, you know, these, these sorts of company union structures, forming a soldier's committee like that is, is always going to be very difficult because, mm. again, as we talked about, like that, because of the self-selecting nature of the military, just within the ideolo- ideological structures of it, and it, it's, it's intertwined nature with nationalism, it's always going to kind of lag in in uh, imperialist countries anyway, at least. Uh, it's going to lag behind, you know, the broader state movement. Yeah, and I mean, like, this isn't the only time we're going to see non-Marxist-Leninist-Communist groups get into soldier organizing. Um, and actually, we do also have one example of, like, a, an actual communist party, but that's not in this episode. There's actually really a lot more common for trots to put major efforts into organizing the military, 
uh, or some other kind of fringe socialistic ideologies, new left style parties and such. I knew there um, were a suspicious number of soldier newspapers in these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's now, actually, to be that's fair, funny. newspapers did make a lot more sense back in the 60s and 70s. You had a lot when there were three channels. You yeah, know, a lot fewer options for information. Or you yeah. know, when when printing was a revolutionary technology, like when Marx was right. writing for what was it called, Arbeiter Zeitung or something like that. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, like uh, Die Neue uh, Rheinische Zeitung, I think, mm-hmm. is one of them. So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for uh, the the deep history nerds who really love newspapers. Um, yeah, so- for people who uh, don't have have no interest in learning german but found out what zeitung means oh yeah great word <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and i and i know that in our discussions we have gotten peeks at what like marxist leninist uh the marxist leninist view on organizing the military is but we're still about two episodes away from that actual like deeper dive into that topic because we do actually want to have that discussion it's just I feel like it's really important for us to get a lot of these details out of the way first. So for now, we're just going to stay on topic and zoom in a bit on Norway. To give an example as to the structure of the union and how much the leader... Oh, here's the example that I was talking about. Uh, The leadership of the military had control of it. In 1976, of the 132 voting delegates... Uh, in the union, 36 were military officers or Ministry of Defense representatives. So maybe not 40%, but still fairly significant. Uh, and at the yearly conference that was held, soldiers' demands were such. All right. So the list of soldiers' demands. A doubling of conscript pay, the payment of adequate separation bonus, an increase in the number of free trips home from four to eight, uh, equalization of the working hours for soldiers and officers, which would result in a much shorter day for soldiers, and unlimited overnight passes off base. So That's this kind of list... better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I yeah. I found this list to be very small. Uh... <laughs> my my expectations were on the floor. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> there there are there's like a couple of these that are very much like the sorts of things that that the the military could just be like oh yeah who cares this doesn't mm-hmm. like the increase in the number of trips home that's that's not a that's not a big deal for them the the payment of the separation bonus i'm sure that's something that they could easily concede on but the equalization equalizing of hours. the hours yeah. yeah uh i don't i don't see them doing that one although i you know i was surprised by the netherlands so yeah Well, I mean, during the interviews with the soldiers, they said that while they did want these demands met, that the leadership could basically simply ignore them. And many of the conscripts uh, didn't really dare fight too hard for them as well, as they could often just be retaliated against on an individual level with, like, no recourse. Which is how you know you have an effective union. (laughs) Yeah. And so on top of this, if they were harassed or retaliated against, they could not really go to their elected tillotsman about it uh, without first going to their commanding officer first due to protocol. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So you basically have to tell your boss that you're going to go talk to your union. Hey, boss, what you just did is pretty fucked up. I'm going to go talk to the steward. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Can I I get a hall pass? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, basically. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, shortly into the interview, a commanding officer came in and kicked the authors <laughs> off base uh, just before the soldiers themselves said that they had aspired to have a union similar to that of Sweden. Mm. Uh, so... A mind-bending levels of incrementalism happening here, where, <laughs> where the Norwegian soldiers are like, hey, our highly ineffective union sucks shit. What if it was that highly ineffective union? Damn, yeah. we're, well, getting, we're, getting, we're getting like layers of the Nordic model. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, it will make a little bit of sense why they pointed to Sweden and like maybe not. I, I don't know why they weren't pointing to other ones, but I think that there was just like, like a real lack ones. of information and a, a lack of communication amongst a lot of these unions. Uh, so so let's talk about Sweden. Ändå ingen chans 